Welcome to The Mend, a podcast to learn about services and support for victims and survivors of crime, sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I am Anna Nasset, your host for this bi-monthly podcast and show. And today on the show, I'm thrilled to have the Vermont Legal Partnership for Crime Victims here. This show, as you know, was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, concepts, and everything else pertaining to victims and survivors of crime. We always want to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources, not only in state, but things that pertain throughout the country as well that could benefit victims of crime as they begin to mend. As today, we are looking at immediate needs and resources for victims of crime. As always, I like to start by offering a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss these topics. But with that in mind, we may occasionally hear a story related to crime discuss our mental health or have other sensitive subject matter. We urge you to care for yourself and listen at your own discretion. As I said today, I'm very happy to have the Vermont Legal Partnership for Crime Victims here. On the panel today, we have Jean Nelson from the Center for Crime Victim Services, Cielo Mendoza from Legal Services, Mike Ben, I'm gonna butcher your last name, Mike, I'm so sorry. Mike Benvudo from Vermont Legal Aid, Lindsay Owen from Disability Rights Vermont, and Heather Holtler from the Vermont Network for Domestic and Sexual Violence. They will be sharing and discussing their pieces of the partnership and how it relates to the whole. Because we have a lot of voices on the day to on today, I'm gonna ask Jean to give us a quick overview of what the partnership is before we launch into our questions with our panelists. I'll turn it over to you, Jean, to tell us a little bit about this program. Okay. Um... <clears throat> So this uh, incredible group of legal service organizations began meeting a long time ago to entertain the idea of establishing a statewide cadre of pro bono attorneys um, in Vermont to assist victims of crime. I mean, I recall the first meeting that I was part of, which was back in 2014, and it was convened by the Center for Crime Victim Services, and it was, it was hosted by the Vermont Bar Association. Um, we invited individuals from Vermont Legal Aid, Legal Services Vermont, which was then called Vermont Law Line, South Royalton Legal Clinic at Vermont Law School, the Crime Research Group, the Vermont Prosecutor's Office, Have Justice Will Travel, the Network, uh, Vermont Network Against Domestic Sexual Violence, Disability Rights Vermont. Um, um, and the purpose of the meeting was to entertain the idea of establishing a coordinated wraparound pro bono legal services network to serve crime victims. Um, that meeting was in response to a recently released um, strategic plan called Vision 21 um, by the Office of Victims of, uh, Office on Victims of Crime at the U.S. Department of Justice. And that the strategic, the main strategic ideal in that plan was that every state will establish wraparound legal networks that will help uh, ensure that crime victims' rights are enforced and that victims of crime receive a broad range of legal services needed to help rebuild their lives in the aftermath of crime. So what struck me at that first meeting was not only how each of the organizations had incredible strengths in particular aspects of the law and how that brought a beautiful synergy to the whole or that they each had a different tool set for helping crime victims access justice. Um, for, you know, for instance, Legal Services Vermont has the 800 number that people can call into. And the Vermont Network is strong in domestic and sexual violence crime. And you know, 
the, the legal aid has a, you know, it does a tremendous amount of different types of law, housing, elder, you know, everybody had something to bring to the table. But what really struck me about this group, uh, the, the organizations and especially the individuals that made it up were that they had such respect and collegiality for one another and they continue to have it today. Um, they were present at that meeting to come up with the ways to make the system better for crime victims. And they, they weren't competing with one another. They, they came on deck as a winning team. And I, I think that made me realize that, that this is as much about chemistry as it is about structure and the chemistry of the, these organizations and the people who are involved are fantastic. So today I have the, the, the distinct pleasure of introducing to you to just a few of the dedicated people who work with the Vermont Legal Partnership for Crime Victims. And uh, as this partnership um, has in three years since it's in this, I'm sorry. Yes, since basically three and a half years since its inception has had over 2,500 instances where they have assisted crime victims. Um, again, this partnership is comprised of seven organizations. It's Disability Rights Vermont, the South Royalton Legal Clinic at Vermont Law School, the Vermont Network Against Domestic and Sexual Violence, Legal Services Vermont Have Justice Will Travel, the Vermont Bar Association and Vermont Legal Aid. And Ciela will be able to tell you she's the person who the uh, will be there at Legal Services Vermont and is likely to be the person who for many of the crime victims gets that first call. She will then pretend, triage it to one of the partner organizations um, and we have uh, Mike Benvenuto, who is a uh, work attorney with Vermont Legal Aid. He has a uh, you know broad um, talents, but he's especially talented with elder uh, the Elder Law Project. Heather Holter um, with the Vermont Network Legal Clinic. Um, she's the coordinator for Vermont's uh, Council on Domestic and Sexual Violence, and and in her previous life she was a director at Circle, one of Vermont's domestic violence programs. And uh, last but not least, Lindsay Owen, who is an attorney with Disability Rights Vermont, who makes sure that all the individuals who reach out to her um, for help are accommodated properly. So I'm, I, I can't say enough about this group of individuals and how much I respect them. And I look forward to hearing what they have to say. Awesome, thank you so much, Jean. Um, I'm really excited to have everyone's voices share um, so I'm going to get into questions, and as I ask the questions, it would be great if you could also tell me what your organization does to directly serve crime victims. So, I mean, I know that some of the services might be helping them with housing, helping them with the legal funds, all of those different things. So if you can answer that along with your question, that would be really great. Um, so my first question is going to be for Cielo. Uh, what trends are you seeing in serving crime victims through the partnership? Hi, thank you. I'm Cielo Mendoza. I'm a staff attorney with Legal Services. And our role in the partnership is to um, be the um, first contact for clients who need assistance with their um, victimization or um, both in um, family law cases and um, in the criminal courts. Um, so the recent trends um, have largely mirrored the types of cases we've seen since the inception of the Vermont Legal Partnership for Crime Victims. 
and um, legal services advocates, um, sorry, legal services Vermont advocates and attorneys are in a unique position to field calls and give advice to people at the front line of um, the legal needs um, system. And um, over the past few months, we've seen a lot of relief from abuse order cases, as well as related family law cases, such as divorce, custody, visitation, and parentage. Um, in the last um, few months, child custody and visitation has been a hot issue. Um, families have been trying to determine the best way to keep their children safe during a global pandemic while following court orders, which are already in place. Um, another issue that has seen a slight uptick is um, survivors of crime cases where the victim suffers from a mental health issue. And I've referred these types of cases to Disability Rights Vermont, one of our partner organizations um, under this umbrella partnership. And it's important for um, these clients and all of our clients to know that they can reach out to us for legal advice and support. Um, other important areas of concern are um, sexual assault cases and our representation of survivors of sexual assault in criminal cases. I think our presence during the um, depositions, trial and sentencing is important for survivors um, to be able to be heard in the process. And um, the current state of affairs has not affected the numbers of clients coming into us um, as survivors of sexual assault and other crimes. Um, the numbers are steady and have been so since the inception of our project. Um, and we've been doing our best as a partnership and an organization at Legal Services Vermont to rise to the challenge of providing the best legal care to the most vulnerable populations. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I know that I'm really just have been blown away by how our state has handled crime that because it doesn't stop during this pandemic. And I know that you all are really at the front lines of protecting people. So thank you so much. Um, I'd like for having to, me. Yes. Um, I'd love to turn it over to Mike. Um, I'm so sorry I butchered your last name. Um, would you be able to tell us, one, what, um, what your organization does with this partnership, and then also talk to us about what are your most pressing legal issues? Thank you. And um, so, yes, I'm Michael Benvenuto. I'm the director of the Elder Law Unit at Vermont Legal Aid. And um, so in addition to representing older Vermonters on a wide range of issues, I supervise our project for victims of crime, which is victims of crime of all ages. So from children who have been abused, you know, through people of all ages to, to older Vermonters and senior citizens. So um, and our part. So with Cielo and Legal Services Vermont, there's they're sort of the intake center for Vermont for the legal partnership and for Vermont Legal Aid. And then. Um, Vermont Legal Aid, so we're sort of a partner organization with them. We're the more of the full service or higher, you know, greater level of legal services for clients. So cases get referred to us or transferred in our computer system from them to us. So they serve as our intake center. And so at Vermont Legal Aid, we deal with victims of crime across like a wide range of legal issues. So the civil legal problems they have, like housing or public benefits, um, victims, um, needing, you know, domestic violence victims who need assistance with the Violence Against Women Act protections as it relates to housing or public benefits, um, as well as relief from abuse and in the criminal case. So, um, 
you know, and many victims have many legal problems all at once. And so one of uh, really our core, our normal case is actually many cases at the same time. So we often do multiple cases for the client because they have many different legal problems. So that includes helping them with the relief from abuse order, and it involves helping um, with the criminal case. And uh, so just, you know, it's hard to talk about pressing legal issues because, um, you know, for each individual person, their legal problems are pressing to them. They're coming to us in crisis. They're coming to an emergency. Um, but I do think in Vermont and probably in many states, you know, victims' rights is really a crit- in the criminal procedure is, is a critical legal issue. I think it's one of the core aspects of this partnership in terms of really trying to change that dynamic, because the criminal justice system is set up to protect the rights of the defendant. And victims of crime are treated as a witness. They're treated as a witness, and so that means they're subject to discovery by the by the defense attorney and including depositions where they they're forced they have to sit down for like a recorded interview so a key part of our legal practice is representing victims in that criminal process protecting their right to privacy to medical records to like social media records text you know their their personal you know cell phone um and you know, maintaining their dignity in the process and then helping them navigate that through through sentencing, plea negotiation, trial, you know, wherever it goes. So um, that's really our core. We do the civil side, we do the criminal side. So at Vermont Legal Aid, we're really handling both aspects of the legal problems of the victim. Awesome. So important is this work. Um, as an ongoing victim of crime myself, where were you when I needed you? Uh, no, I'm just joking, but I just really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will if I need to again, but yes, but just so important because, I mean, you just kind of hit the nail on the head. The criminal justice system is set up to protect the offenders and to know that we have people who can support us and have our best interest in mind and that we don't have to pay for it. This this service, this partnership is free. And that's, I think, really important for people to know that there is that support out there. So thank you. Um, I would love to now bring on Lindsay. Um, and she is going to talk about how the criminal justice response di- difference, sorry, how the criminal justice response is different when victims are represented versus when they're not represented. Oh, you're on mute, Lindsay. One moment, folks. Sorry about that. I'm That's still okay. Getting, still getting used to these Zoom um, experiences. Thank you. Uh, I am a staff attorney at Disability Rights Vermont. I've been with Disability Rights Vermont for about eight years or so. Um, our organization is the protection and advocacy agency for the state of Vermont um, to investigate abuse and neglect and rights violations. Um, for our for victims of crime, we provide not only legal services, primarily in the criminal justice setting, we also do um, legal representation for relief from abuse orders or stalking orders and sexual assault orders. Um, and we do get involved in other areas that tend to uh, come up as well related to crime victim needs like housing and eviction issues. Um, so we do a little bit of that work also. Disability Rights Vermont also has advocates um, in our organization, and we have one in particular who's dedicated to working with victims of crime, which I think is 
um, a huge benefit because oftentimes we will get referrals sometimes from the partnership where a victim may have a mental health diagnosis um, and could be symptomatic and their complaint or their report may not be taken as seriously as somebody who seems to be uh, quote unquote normal and is someone who does not appear to have a disability. And so part of our work that's not per se legal is to make sure that people's voices are heard throughout every step of the proceeding from reporting to the police through what happens next, either in a civil proceeding or a criminal proceeding. Um, and sometimes somebody may not want to participate in a formal legal process, but needs help navigating what to do about the harm that they experienced. Um, so we're able to provide that service as well. Um, in terms of the question about how the response is different for victims who are represented um, versus when they're not represented, I, I don't know that it can be said that the actual response from the different players in the system is different when they're represented versus when they're not, but I do believe wholeheartedly that the experience of the victim um, and how the criminal justice process unfolds is vastly different. Um, we routinely hear from state's attorney's offices that victims are uncooperative or not willing participants, and therefore like notices to those individuals may take a back seat or um, getting that person's input may be less of a priority, but they haven't considered whether the victim they're trying to engage with can do so safely and effectively, or if they might need some sort of an accommodation to do that. Maybe it's calling at a different time. Maybe they're not able to verbalize what they're experiencing and they need to write things down or see someone in person. Um, and just trying to make sure that people are heard how they need to be heard to be most effective. Um, when a victim has an attorney, it seems to make those notice requirements and a victim's rights more visible to the other players in the process. Um, that shouldn't be the case, but that's the way the world is. And attorneys, when attorneys are involved, people seem to kind of wake up a little bit more um, and pay a little bit more attention, which I think is crucial. Um, because in Vermont, there's no remedy if a victim's rights are violated. So the only time to enforce them are during the process itself. Um, there are so many benefits and differences for a victim who is represented. I think one of the most important reasons for a victim to have an attorney is that each county seems to treat the role of the victim and the rights of the victim differently, but those rights aren't different from county to county and having an attorney can level the playing field for someone who can't help which county they were hurt in. Um, another key way in which the response and experience differs is that a victim is much more likely to experience less additional trauma and harm if they're represented because the state doesn't represent them, which is a common misconception. Um, and the state has their own ethical obligations to remain fair and impartial and not, um, you know, be trying to hide the ball, so to speak, when it comes to witnesses in the case. So asserting a victim's rights, particularly when they're more controversial, like testifying um, outside the presence of the defendant or fighting against disclosure of a victim's private medical or mental health records, um, it, it's more difficult for those accommodations to be fought for and obtained without independent representation. Um, this also raises other issues as well if the state's going to be the primary means to assert some of those rights, um, namely in order to do so if they may need to disclose otherwise private information, sometimes privileged information, um, and unbeknownst to the victim, whatever information is shared with the state, the state must share with the defendant. 
However, a victim's own attorney would not be obligated to share any of that information and could either try to get those accommodations or protections without disclosing that information or would be better prepared to fight against disclosure if something needs to be said in order to um, protect that victim and their rights. And for example, um, I think one of the most under overlooked and underutilized protections is the rule protecting depositions of sensitive witnesses. Um, and Michael touched on this a little bit, but Vermont is one of only five states that allows victims to be deposed. Um, so one would hope that we'd be doing everything in our power to make that the impact of that deposition as minimal as possible, but that's not what we see. States attorneys and defense attorneys routinely schedule things that meet their own needs. Um, and they do it because it's second nature when, you know, for particular types of crimes and particular victims, the rules state that it must be agreeable to the witness, um, the time, the place, the manner, and the scope. And oftentimes it's completely overlooked and people are finding themselves subpoenaed to appear, you know, and take off work, which could jeopardize their housing or their employment and, um, or childcare and just creating additional harm and trauma that's really unnecessary. And frankly, it shouldn't be happening, especially if they're a sensitive witness. So knowing about these rules and knowing about the different different rights that oftentimes are not known um, by the victim or sometimes forgotten or overlooked by the actual parties to the case, the state and the defendant, um, I think it's like cannot be overstated how important it is to have representation in the criminal process. Um, I think, and perhaps it's obvious, but when a victim has an attorney and gets the accommodations and protections that they need and their rights are recognized and enforced, not only does that increase the likelihood that the victim will continue to report other abuses and victimizations, but the state will be more successful prosecuting crimes and that the community as a whole will become safer. Um, and so that's why I do what I do. Um, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. So thank you very much for giving me an opportunity to talk about our work. Thank you, Lindsay. I could have you just keep going on. Um, thank you so much for sharing. You really are doing incredible work and it's very much deeply resonating with me. And as I said, after Mike spoke as well, and I just, you know, having gone through the experience without legal representation because I couldn't afford it um, and having faced such financial gutting um, of being a victim of crime. I'm just so amazed that this program exists and that you're here to just serve us. It's incredible. Um, I'm going to shift over to Heather. Um, Heather from the Vermont Network for Domestic and Sexual Violence is going to tell us a little bit about her work and what other challenges she's facing in her work. Are you there, Heather? I am, sorry. Oh, That's I, um, okay. <laughs> um, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'm gonna try and uh, touch on things that um, just sort of complement and not reiterate what other folks have said so eloquently. Um, so uh, I represent um, and um, I'm the administrator at the, uh, the Justice for Victims Legal Clinic at the Vermont Network Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. Um, the network is the coalition of member organizations that serve um, victims of domestic and sexual violence throughout the state. And so the clinic is housed at the coalition 
and we are um, we are part of the coalition, and we're also a part of um, the partnership, and really happy to be. Um, so we uh, are we have a couple of attorneys that work in our office, and then we also uh, have some funding through other grants to contract with attorneys in the community. Um, and we are uh, focused on uh, representation for victims of crime um, through this grant. Also uh, have a focus on like uh, Vermont Legal Aid and, and the other organizations on serving victims of sexual violence and stalking. Um, we recently have a focus on trying to reach out uh, more to um, non-intimate uh, partner victims. Um, so that is through a grant we've had just recently. Um, so much of what we do is uh, representation for uh, victims who are seeking protection uh, through either a family a protection order in family court or in civil court for sexual violence and stalking. Um, we um, we also do uh, a fair amount of work representing folks in divorce and parentage cases. Um, one of the attorneys I think said really eloquently the other day in our office that um, a protection order is really a often a blunt instrument um, that for many folks they have. And, you know, as was said before, many folks have lots of legal issues. Some of them are ongoing. Um, and um, we uh, are also, as Cielo said when she opened, um, often seeing folks with a lot of the overlapping mental health and substance abuse issues. Um, and folks who are especially um, during this uh, COVID-19 phase of our lives, really trying to negotiate how to um, keep their kids safe and abide by court orders, which are often um, two things that seem like they're in conflict with each other. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so one of the things that um, I also wanted to highlight, I think it's a... Um, Sort of build off of what Lindsay said is that uh, the often the um, the way in which um, the uh, protection orders are heard, um, the way in which the courts are functioning, um, there's always a little bit of difference from uh, county to county. I think that has been aggravated <laughs> by um, COVID nineteen. Um, I think pro se litigants are really confused often about how to um, participate in their hearing sometimes, how to file for protection orders. Um, there's a lot of things that are happening over the phone or through the WebEx platform that the court is using, which can also be really challenging. Um, so I think that, um, you know, we're, we're also getting just like a steady stream of referrals. Um, I think that the change with COVID is that we're, um, you know, we've always been working with uh, folks to help them navigate through the system. And I think the challenges for how they navigate through the system have just been uh, sort of multiplied by um, the court trying to figure out how to 
how to respond um, in the age of COVID when having a lot of folks in the courthouse is not safe. Um, so I would echo that uh, when folks have either representation or um, have the ability to be advised, which is something we do and I know other partners do, uh, even that advice about how to go through the process and um, you know, knowing what to ask for, I think can be really uh, make a critical difference for folks who are just really um, have a lot to sift through. Uh, I also think that uh, it's important to note that we, uh, there's no charge to folks for the services through any of our organizations. And that's one of the really, um, you know, I think I just talked to a survivor this morning who asked me, because sometimes we forget to make that uh, really clear on the, you know, the first time we talked to people and um, just was so grateful and said, you know, it takes a huge load off my mind just to know that your services are free. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think that's, I would say sort of an overview of uh, what we do, I, I think this is true of all the partners, but we being housed in the network uh, against domestic and sexual violence have a, um, a an enhanced connection with advocates, which is a great advantage that we enjoy. So that, uh, again, just talking with an attorney this morning about a case that's happening next week and really trying to brainstorm about how to make sure that an advocate from the local network program will also be um, in the courthouse for really contentious divorce hearings. So uh, we're lucky to be able to have all of the different overlapping resource um, resources to access. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Heather. Um, and just for all the work you're doing, and I will echo you that advocates are doing an incredible job. And I know I've been very lucky to work with one here and what a difference that makes to be able to have that voice and that reason. Because especially as you're going through the criminal justice process, I don't have a law degree. I don't know what's going on. You know, I didn't know the words that were be thrown around and, and you're in a trauma space already. So to be able to have guidance from people like you and advocates is really key just to being able to function. Um, you know, I think one question I would kind of, that's not on our list, but I'm gonna open up to somebody if they'd like to answer is, one of the things that I found is that being the victim of crime becomes a full-time job, like especially as you're preparing for trial. And just, you know, personally, like I, you know, last year to trial, like I couldn't pay my rent because it was so, I just had to take so much time to prepare. And luckily we have a community fund here in my area, but um, just if someone wants to speak to kind of a little bit more of, I know you've kind of touched on, but just those like really concrete services that or offerings that you can help people connect with as they're going through that. I'd really appreciate that. I don't know if someone wants to jump on and take that. Um, well, I can speak just very quickly to something I didn't mention, but our advocate and, and myself and our office, we are willing and able to help people with victim compensation applications and making sure um, that they're trying to access other services will help people connect with economic services for other emergency needs. Um, oftentimes the state's attorneys, victims advocates, their caseloads are huge. Um, they are able to get the application to somebody, but particularly for someone maybe who has a disability, 
submitting that application, providing the necessary documentation and following through is really hard. Um, so in terms of accessing those types of services to make sure that other basic needs are being met at the same time, um, I, I know that at least at Disability Rights Vermont, we do have advocacy staff available as well to allow for that to be a resource. Awesome, thank you for following up with that. Um, I'm wondering if anybody, as we're starting to wind out, if somebody could give me um, a compelling case scenario where a victim of crime was assisted through this effort um, that led to a positive result. Does anybody, oh, here we go, Mike, thank you. Well, yes, I'll try. Um, I mean, we've represented thousands of clients and so many of our, you know, and so every case is, you know, has its own story. It's compelling. It's important in its own way. And so um, one of the cases I remember really well, though, involved a client who had really significant disabilities. And he was living in a private home where he was getting care, like in-home care, needed personal assistance, and his caregivers were his guardian. Um, and I don't think we know the full scope of everything that was going on in this house, but there was an incident in which there was an assault that actually occurred outdoors that was witnessed by many people, including by the police when they arrived on scene. And so the defendant was arrested, charged with multiple crimes, including felonies. Um, and the, because there was a guardianship, the state of Vermont intervened in the guardianship and requested an emergency guardianship. So we actually got the case because we were appointed to represent the, the client in the emergency guardianship case. Um, and so we helped with that. There was also a, a relief from abuse order proceeding that ended up being easy because the defendant was in jail at the time. Um, but we helped the emergency guardian navigate all the financial issues that had arose in the situation, Social Security, um, the other problems as it relates to that in the immediate crisis. But we also learned through the guardian that they had purchased a house with our client's money um, jointly in the name of the caregivers. Um, and at that point, they weren't paying the mortgage and the bank was threatening with foreclosure. Um, and foreclosure is one of our areas of expertise at legal aid. We have attorneys who are experts in that area and we sort of wrestled with what we could do at the foreclosure. But we were, we're basically stumped. Like it was one of those situations where you don't, we didn't really have a lot of options. But one of the partners that's not on this call today is the Vermont Bar Association. And so, and their role is to help us get private attorneys deal with the, all the other legal, like we have expertise in lots of legal issues. People have talked about them today, but we can bring in private attorneys to consult with our clients about a, a, additional issues. So we brought in a private attorney um, and we filed a partition action through that private attorney relating to the home that they had purchased. Um, the partition actually can split the joint ownership of the house. We really wanted to force a sale because that's one of the things the court can order is to order the sale of the house to get our client out from underneath the mortgage and out from that transaction. So in the end, as that partition case worked through the, the, um, the court system, there was a, the other, the spouse of the defendant basically was also one of the joint owners. She was in the end, she was able to refinance and so bought our clients out and refinanced and took over the mortgage, which resolved the partition, resolved the foreclosure action. Um, so that was a resolution of the financial exploitation part of the case. The criminal case had pended throughout these, these years. We represented the client in the criminal case. Um, we filed motions for protective orders to prevent depositions along the lines of what Lindsay was talking about in terms of 
um, both the timing of that, the circumstances, and just even the necessity of that. They ended up never doing depositions of the client and um, helped our, really helped because we had a guardian through the state understand the criminal process and really with the plea negotiation, the sentence negotiation. Um, so in the end, the defendant pled guilty, um, was sentenced to you know multiple convictions and was sentenced to jail. So um, that was a case in which there was criminal and civil and a lot of financial issues that all overlaid. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's a really um, a good story in the end, but what a journey to get there. And I'm sure it took a lot of people involved. So thank you for once again, pre protecting Vermonters. Um, I appreciate that. And I've just appreciated everyone being on here today. Um, is there anything anybody wants to follow up with something you feel like I haven't covered as we wind down this episode. Um, feel free just to pop on if you feel the need to. I just wanted to um, say that um, I'm grateful for um, you having us here and I appreciate it a lot. And I also wanted to throw out the intake number at Legal Services Vermont in case there are survivors of crime out there who do need legal assistance. And it's 1-800-889-2047. Again, that's 1-800-889-2047. And generally all survivors of crime calls and messages are directly routed through me. Awesome, thank you so much. Does anybody else wanna pop on? Um. I just wanted to um, actually just say how grateful I am um, to Cielo for um, just, you know, routing all, you know, she just does a tremendous job of figuring out who to connect folks with. And um, the, you know, I think Jean said this, but I think the real beauty of the partnership is because we're also familiar with our services often you know, Vermont is really small and I think we can, we can save survivors a lot of time and energy because, you know, if someone calls me and says, oh, I talked to this person or that person, I can, you know, sort of know right away where they are and how far they've gotten in the process and um, can connect with partners, you know, um, if the client asks me to and gives me permission to. So I think that's one of the things that makes us, you know, makes it really, really effective. Um, and I think I wanted to share like a super short story because um, I was thinking about your question too. Um, and because uh, I think it just really, um, you know, we talked a little bit, at, you know, Cielo Open was talking about how challenging it is for some folks, um, particularly when we're talking about intimate partner relationships where folks may still need to have contact or have children in common. And um, so recently one of our attorneys negotiated a protection order um, that, you know, often these kinds of orders can be really tricky, but, um, but people can get orders that allow them to have some contact with the person who's harmed them. And so one of our attorneys negotiated an order that um, the parties needed to stay six feet apart um, because there was a real, um, uh, need for them to be able to have contact related to kids, um, have to go in and out of the same residence, but there was real concern that um, safety related to um, 
COVID-19 wasn't being respected. So I think, you know, it was a really creative solution that, um, you know, may or may not solve everyone's problems, but it's uh, a way in which I think we can be responsive to what people's really big concerns are sometimes. So, and thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And I think that you just used the term creative solutions. And I think that's true of what all of you are doing is really having to think creatively in the time of COVID and not in the time of COVID of how to best serve victims of crime. And I just really applaud each one of you for doing that. Would anybody else like to share or do we feel like we can wind up or down? We'll wind down. Um, all right, well, Jean, Mike, Cielo, Heather, and Michelle, thank you so much for being here today to share about your incredible program. Uh, for people who wanna learn more, you can go to the Center for Crime Victim Services website, that's ccvs.vermont.gov, and look under Support for Victims. Um, there's a tab that leads to legal services, or as was said, you can call 1-800 889-2047. I always like to close with a positive message. So if you all like want to jump on and just share like one sentence of positive for victims of crime, that would be awesome. I would say, I'd say that um, there's people that care for you and that there's hope. Awesome. I'll go I, guess I would <laughs> um, I would just say that you know whatever brought you here it was not your fault and that you are strong and brave for letting other people know about it and so please reach out to any of us because we're all here to help Heather Mike or Cielo I just wanted to let um, folks know that they're not alone in this. And if they need legal support, we're here for you. And um, please call, or um, you can also reach us on our website at vtlawhelp.org if um, it's safer for you to reach out to us via web. Thanks. Awesome. Heather? Um, yeah, I'll just reiterate that um, we are, uh, you know, we're all dedicated to figuring out how to respond to what, uh, you know, what, what you need, and we're not going to dictate what that is. That's up to you. Awesome. Thank you. Mike, do you have anything to add? Well, my message is going to be similar to what everyone else is saying. My thought is no one asked to be a victim of crime. That experience is sort of thrust upon you. And we understand that this is a crisis and emergency, but the, this partnership and the lawyers and advocates involved, you know, we can help victims. We can help you navigate through that process, understand your legal rights, and, um, and hopefully provide that help. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining today. Um, I'm so honored and pleased to have you all here. That does it for this week. Um, if you have any questions or ideas about the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me at Anna at StandUpResources.com. Um, I'm Anna Nassett, your host, and I look forward to being with you next time here on The Mend. Be well, be strong, and goodbye.